Hello everyone and welcome back to Four at the Back. It's just the two of us here today. It's me and Maz and with the final set, we're looking at arguably the former greatest player in the world against the future greatest player in the world in the final as France will take on Argentina. But we are here, just the two of us, to look back on the last couple of rounds. We're not going to go into any great detail on England, as we should say that first of all, because we're going to do a special episode after the World Cup looking at the the kind of England in the, in the grander scheme of things, I guess. But we're going to look over the other games from the quarterfinals and then what happened in the semifinals. So, uh, Maz, do you want to just start us off with some overall opinions, first of all? Um, yeah, I mean, I think... When you look at the two sides of the draw, I, I think how things have panned out, you're looking at the right final here, but not without both sides having potential for upsets and, you know, actual upsets. As both of them lost in the group stage to uh, very unfancy teams. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, you're probably looking at player for player, the best team in the tournament against probably the team that have come together the best as a group of 11 in the tournament and certainly the best player in in, in of all time I, I think there's always a an asterisk with, with an arguably next to that whenever that's said but I, I think that is getting smaller and smaller as time goes on I think a lot of people after this tournament will, will that will cement that for Messi against like you say you know the the pretender to the throne in uh, Mbappe and yeah, just a, a very, very, very strong group of players from France. But there's a story of how we got there, and I guess that that's where we're going to start off. Uh, yeah, there certainly is. So and the ones just, that fell along the way. Yeah, yeah, uh, it is going to be an interesting one, you know, especially if Argentina end up winning it. A pub quiz question in future years, you know, who beat them in the opener when in the year that they went on to win it and. After 10, 20 years, people are going to forget that that was Saudi Arabia because it's it's such a weird one. But we covered all that in the group. So we'll start with the first game of the quarterfinals, which was Argentina and the Netherlands. And that was a bit of an odd, odd game in a sense, because for so long, Argentina looked comfortable. And yet they ended up having to, due to some last minute weirdery, they only went through on a penalty shootout. So this could all have been very different. It's one, uh, hands down, one of the best football games I've seen in the history of the World Cup and not not because of an absolute amount of skill but because of the handbags and I love handbags football without handbags what's the point you know and there was some proper handbags going on there you know there was obviously some needle from beforehand with comments uh, that the Argentinians weren't too happy with there was plenty of needle in the game and that just grew and grew and grew as it went through both teams clearly felt they were being victimized by the referee who had a shocker there's been a few shocking refereeing performances over the last few games but the referee in that game just let it get totally out of control and the fact that nobody actually got sent off until until it was done Mm. is quite insane really because you know the stuff going on was absolutely mental but that's what you want that is that is the passion and you know I think that it was really a moment where you see what it means to Argentina and where they're willing to take it and how they're willing to dig in and how they feel like they feel it's the world against them and I don't think that's true but if they feel it that's only going to help them and 
yeah, it, I mean, it was a, it was fantastic game. Stranger, it was a bit boring until Argentina scored the first, and then it was like it just kicked into life, and they just looked fantastic at that point. And I think you said on Twitter at some point the Dutch could play all day and wouldn't score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, famous last words, and, and right? It really did look like that. So they were on the ex Burnley striker, shoved seven foot eight of him or whatever he is shoved him up front and just hoofed the ball out of the box. And the Argentinians had no idea how to deal with it. Mm. You know, it just was absolute carnage. And, you know, that is when it kicked off a lot. There'll be some arguments from the purists that it's pretty anti-football. It's certainly not the Dutch way, That certainly the Dutch football that I, I, I've grown up to love so much and the reason why, you know, the Netherlands are always my second team in every tournament. It, it, it's not because of how they played in that last 20 minutes, but it got the job done. It got them there. It rattled the Argentinians a great deal. And they got that really clever last minute equaliser to take it to extra time. Once it got to extra time, it kind of reverted because they'd thrown so much at it. You know, they were a little bit out of they didn't really have much of a formation going on by by the time they got that equaliser so they were hanging on a bit especially in those last few minutes for the penalties but when it came down to it 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 was the Argentinians who had probably a little bit more experience I guess as as, as a team certainly a bit more psychological I mean they went through it you know you can't forget in a year and a half ago whatever it was they went through that all the way to the copper mm. um, win so you know they've got that experience there they've got a very good goalkeeper in that situation, both as a shot stopper from the spot and psychologically, I think, with how he acts in those situations. Um, in your your guy, my ex guy, Emmy Martinez. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, as much as we we've got a new girlfriend now and we're happy with her, you know, I still think what could have been. But yeah, you know, we certainly didn't treat her right, did we? But, no. <laughs> And yes, he uh, he's quick to bring that up. But yeah, I mean, it was just absolute needle. And, you know, these, this is going to be a rivalry that's going to carry on. This is, you know, there's already history with these two teams of like some fantastic games and some big moments. But I, I think that needle is going to carry on between these two countries for a good few years now. I don't think either of those countries is letting that go. Uh, I think we're going to get fireworks every time they play from here on out, certainly for the next two or three tournaments. So hopefully they play next time out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, obviously got a track record now of uh, producing some pretty memorable games. There's a, a couple of things that I, I do remember saying something on the lines of, as, as well as they could play all night and not score. The other one, that there was something almost delicious about Van Hal in a final kind of, FU to Johan Cruyff playing with the kind of almost the ultimate non-Cruyffian system and getting back into the game, you know, just like lump it up to the big man. You can see him spinning in his grave, can't you? Um, yes. <laughs> of all people to be the manager while they do that is Van Hal, you know, the guy that could that could not have hated Cruyff more. Um, the other thing that I suppose jumped out at me is that um, we've seen Argentina play like this at a number of World Cups and they've almost been consumed by that, that that competitiveness has kind of branched into petulism a few times at various tournaments and yes. th- what you saw there I think is 
the way they handle the penalties, the way they handle extra time, is also the way they handle it. They kept just about enough of a lid on it this time. It didn't eat them alive. So I think that's maturity. You know, this is a more mature version of some of those teams that we've seen do very good things in the early rounds and then fall usually at about this kind of stage. Whereas obviously this time they're just that little bit more with how, it. How much is that the leniency of the referee though? I mean, you know, oh, it was Paul. Parini should have gone there and then, <laughs> you know, mm. for that 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 tackle on on Ake and then booting the ball into the bench. Yes, you know that's at very least two yellows one after the other at, yeah. at that moment alone. Absolutely, and he was at it all game, you know. So you know they might have got a bit lucky that no one was sent off. That's not to say, you know, I think the Dutch were very physical with them as well and probably could have had their own yellow cards. So that could have gone either way. But yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly there, the petulance, wasn't it? You, you, you can't say it wasn't on show. No, quite. The refereeing reminded me a bit of, do you remember Howard Webb in 2010? Uh, referee in the final with, um, when they clearly didn't want to send somebody off and it just ended yeah. up losing control of the game as a result it had that kind of vibe to me yeah I, I mean, the whole tournament's had that vibe you know they've they're, they're clearly doing everything to try and avoid bookings and red cards but i do think that's a positive what you don't want is players suspended but i think your answer to that is don't suspend players for two yellow cards <laughs> no i don't think it's stop dishing them out in games uh, i don't know I, you know I, I think the whole the tournament as a whole has been very a lot more let it go uh, it's modern football as well modern football is not my thing so you know i've not watched this level of football i, I watch it once every two years when it's the euros and the um and the world cups it, it is when i watch this this amount of football and yeah i just i just feel there's a few things on there you know don't even get me started on you know offside flags not going up until the game's dead and stuff like that it's just absolutely ridiculous in my mind a lot of the things that are going on right now but yeah you know you don't want to see players missing games for yellow cards but the way the game is now you've got to give those yellows out when when they're deserved and yeah I think both teams got away with a few in that game could have ended up five asides Mm. And what we've seen in the last year or so, not just in the World Cup, but in the Premier League as well, it's very recently there has been a move to let more go, to let the game be a bit more physical because it was it was veering towards basketball two or three years ago. And there's obviously a bit of a pushback about that, but it's going to take a while before everybody gets on the same page as to what that means and you know what is now a yellow again. Like anytime they change the understanding of refereeing or how the interpretation of these things there's always a lag where no one really is doing the same thing and that drives everybody yeah. up the wall because where's the consistency but that it's this inevitable there's going to be that kind of uh, grace period and i think this game was a, a symbol of it where the referee didn't know and just let everything go no but you know you've also got a var system that seems to be very on point at one moment and just letting everything go another it, it's strange mm. It's not been a great tournament, I'd say, for referees and for VAR. No, no. Um, it's quite a, a thing as well, because they, VAR isn't going to go anywhere. It is here to stay. So they need to work out exactly what the hell they're doing, because it's the only sport in the world that hasn't worked out how to use this yet. Yeah. It's, it's not difficult. Everybody else can do it. They need, no. to, they need to sort it, their act it's out. It's relatively new, but like you say, it's not... 
you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with it. And they just don't seem to quite be getting it. And it, mm. it, 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 it's a bit weird. And yeah, it, it's not helping the reputation of a tournament, which people are already saying is is being set up to be uh, rigged in favour of certain people. The, the fact that each time you hear it, it's someone different kind of, <laughs> you know, points to the fact that's not actually the case. But, you know, the more stuff like this happens, the more buzz there's going to be around stuff like that. And it, it don't help. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, anything where there's a conspiracy theory ready made, you know, what it's like these days, it will travel around the world yeah, yeah. double quick. Uh, just before we do move on, I mean, that last minute free kick, I, I thought that was just genius. Yeah, absolute genius. I mean, you know, it is literally the one thing, you know, of everything the Dutch were throwing at them for 20 minutes. That's the last thing that, you know, you would have expected. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it, it was a it was a touch of finesse after lump it, lump it, lump it for, for 20 minutes. Mm. So I guess total football won out in the end. Well, sort of. It got, it, it got into extra time in the end, I guess. Yeah. And uh, it's very much from the kind of football game, like just rather than putting your free kick into the box, just tap it to the player on the edge. It's, it's a way of gaming some of the old FIFAs. Uh, so you wonder if maybe they'd uh, be playing, playing those games to get ready for this one. Uh, I actually didn't see the next game in great detail that we're going to look at. So you'll take the lead on this, if that's all right. I did see some of it, though. Um, whenever I looked at Brazil and Croatia, Croatia looked, far and away the uh the better side they looked like they were out playing comfortably the uh the favorites and making a mockery of that favorites tag uh was that the case for the whole game or did i see i was on the end one unfortunately for most of it i I watched the first half the first half it was a dull game uh brazil weren't showing much for me and you know i'd say croatia looked in charge but at that point I'd say I had penalties written over it, all over it, from the first half. So I wasn't shocked to see it did go to penalties. I was getting the missus to give me updates on live score as I was driving down the M1 in the second half an extra time. So, But yeah, um, I didn't see much of the second half. I watched a bit, a few highlights then afterwards. And I certainly didn't see a whole lot of chances in the highlights. Let's put it this way. Another Brazil team that has ultimately, despite big hype and big reputations, one game aside where people were calling them the 82 team, other than that, they've kind of flattered to deceive again and gone out quite tamely. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't think much of them throughout the tournament. Then how they came out and battered the Swiss in that second round, I was suddenly like, OK, maybe this hype is warranted. And <laughs> that quick quickly disappear mm. you know it's it's not a great set of players in my mind for i mean for most countries to have that set of players yes you'd be very happy but for the brazilian teams that i grew up watching from the romarios and babetos through to the you know the leonardos the ronaldinhos the rivaldos the ronaldos they're not fit to lace their boots including neymar sorry he's just don't do it for me uh, never has done good player yes but not not in the same league as those legends uh, as far as i'm concerned and you know never been in the same league as as messi or ronaldo for me no um, i don't think most people would even try and elevate him to to that it, it, it always was a, a duopoly at the top wasn't it it was it was always was. the two of them 
And, and I, I don't, I genuinely don't think he was ever legitimately in the conversation for third at any point either. You know, throughout their time as one and two, you've had some fantastic players, um, you know, hit form at times, you know, Suarez, Iniesta, you know, Modric. You know, I don't think Neymar's ever been really in that conversation for, for third best player in the world from from what I've seen. And yeah, I, you know, they're not, they're not, I don't know, is it a mentality thing? They were doing that dance and everyone was like, okay, you're dancing, are you? Uh, you know, some people loved it. Some people were like, well, it's a bit disrespectful. And then they're gone in the next round, you know, to Croatia. And let's put it this way. I wish you look at that semi-final from 2018 and it was it was a very good Croatia team and a still growing England team I I think we'd walked all over them now very organized don't get me wrong Um, I'm not saying they're poor by any stretch of the imagination organized they've got a lot of quality in that midfield but I'd have loved to have been I'd have loved to have had the 2018 draw in 2022 let's put it that way for England I think we did beat them in the Euros a couple of years ago. And obviously they were two years younger then. So there is uh, some weight to that. Yeah, just uh, just to come back to the the Brazil thing. I mean, the obvious kind of talking point that came out of it was the... Uh, we've seen this with other teams as well. Can't really ignore it. I have to touch on it. The idea of leaving your best penalty taker till fifth. Uh, it's bitten a couple of teams in the backside now. Obviously, Neymar was the, the man left at number five. Uh, we saw it with Egypt, with Mo Salah in the AFCON earlier this year. He obviously didn't end up taking one either. So, yeah, what do you, what do you think of this idea of leaving your best, so, well, supposedly your best penalty taker to take the last one? The pressure I, penalty, I suppose. I very, very, very much understand the reasoning for having, for holding your best player back to to do it. Because uh, if you go back to to, well, to last year, you had a 19-year-old, essentially rookie, taking the decisive penalty for England in, in a Euros final. Mm. And he should never have been in that position. I was very vocal at the time that, he should never have been put in that position, regardless of whether he was confident or not. Because I don't think a young footballer at the age of 19 can understand what's going to happen when he steps up to take that penalty in that mm. situation that if you miss, you lose you lose it for your country. Mm. I, I don't, you know, I don't think anyone who's never taken a penalty before in their life in a competitive game can can understand that. And... I'm not sure how many players can truly comprehend that, but that is, in my mind, a job for your most experienced. Now, if you've got multiple experienced people, then that's great. But I think the pressure on that penalty is a lot more. But, you know, if the penalty shootout goes another way, that pressure's coming a bit earlier. That pressure's coming on number three rather than on number four and then number five. So you can never be sure. I understand it. I don't think it can be. I certainly wouldn't criticise anybody for doing that. No, I don't think I don't think I would. I just wouldn't do it personally. I would always uh, try and line up with your best penalty takers first, with the idea that you put as much pressure on the opposition as you can. And yeah. if and if you end up with someone that you wouldn't want taking one, uh, I suppose the ultimate example is Gareth Southgate himself in 1996. 
Uh, obviously, nobody's first choice to take a penalty, but he stuck his hand up. And uh, no, I mean, that... sudden death, something else though, isn't it? Well, yeah. Once it gets to sudden death, you know, you're, you weren't taking one originally, so it really does, you know, the, the crapshoot of it all really does intensify at that stage. But yeah, I mean, I'd certainly want one of your best two penalty takers to go first. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just don't think you can try and game it. I think you have to just try and get your top five almost in order and just like let it fall where it, it does. But uh, yeah, I certainly don't hold a tremendous amount of kind of truck with the idea that these are the superstars of the teams wanting to take the glory penalty. I, I don't, I don't really buy into that. The, maybe Ronaldo, as I said. That's the, <laughs> yeah, I'd the, buy it for Ronaldo. Yeah. But I think the likes of Neymar and the likes of Messi are all, for all their ego, and they are massive because obviously you have to have a massive ego to be that good a footballer on that kind of stage. But I still think they're actually, in Brazil and Argentina, they're kind of weighed down slightly by the need to win in a way that they're probably not for their clubs. And I don't think they would jeopardise that. Again, Ronaldo, I don't think cares about anybody else. So he's maybe the, the exception. But yeah, uh, shall we move on to a game that we did both see in a bit more detail then, um, I'm guessing, which was uh, the, speaking of Ronaldo, Morocco and Portugal. Sadly, again, no, it was the the, the early games of the quarterfinals. I, I was a little bit, I watched 20 minutes of it. and um, Which 20? 70 to 90, but didn't catch the final whistle. Right, so you saw... Basically, um, the Ronaldo cameo where he did absolutely nothing. Yeah, it, yeah. it literally took me a while to realise he was already on the pitch. Yeah, well, right. I saw, saw him when come they on. Bought on yeah, they bought on. They bought on someone. They bought on another striker. And I'm like, oh, what, they're not even bringing on Ronaldo. And at that point, I realised, oh, he's already on. Right. Yeah, that's the moment I think where I realised that he's not only potentially finished at club level, he might be finished at international level. I mean, realistically, you should be finished at international level before club level, shouldn't you? But again, when you're that, when you've had that much of a impact, mm. you know, when you've been the world's second best player for 15 years or 20 years, even at this point, it's probably there or thereabouts. It's like an inflated version. If you remember what the everything was like around Paul Gascoigne in the mid 90s in England, just like that, but blown up on a massive scale. Right. Where everything it didn't matter what else was going on. Everything with England became about Paul Gascoigne. If he was remotely fit, you had to get him in. If you left him out for any reason, it was a national tragedy. Ronaldo has been so much more of a talisman for Portugal than Gascoigne was for England. So it's inevitable that if there's. If he's got one leg, there was always a feeling that he might get a place in the squad. You know, it, it just reached that kind of perspective. But you looked at it and you thought, oh, no, this is this is this is over now. There's no future here. No, that's it. And, you know, that's the thing. Ronaldo is all consuming. No player is bigger than a club. No player is bigger than a country. That will remain true. You know, and I don't for all my critique of Ronaldo. I don't even necessarily blame him for that, but it, it's everything that comes along with him that's there. And, you know, it, it hamstrung United recently, and you saw how that ended, despite him being their top goal scorer last season. And, you know, there's no doubt there's still a good player in there. But when you're used to being 
literally one of the two greatest players on this planet, maybe of all time, for the last 15 years of your career, and you're you're no longer that player. It, it, it's hot because, you know, everything about your ego, everything about your aura, everything surrounding you says you should still be that player. When in reality, we all know all these things come to an end. And it's clearly hard for Ronaldo to come to terms with it. It's hard for whoever's managing him to deal with it. And it's there. I mean, uh, I think the shame for Portugal in all that is they've got a really, really good group of players. And, you know, I said it before, if Ronaldo, Ronaldo had this group of players around him eight years ago, maybe, they're for the taking. But, you know, and that, that's despite six years ago, them winning the Euros. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's done. You know, it, it's done for him. And I think Portugal have got more than enough talent in their attacking areas. And I think they, they're gonna, they've they got to need to let him go. And I'm not sure he, what his personality is like, what his ego is like, whether he will actually step up and say, yeah, OK, I'm done. Yeah, nothing about the way he's handled anything at any stage of his career so far suggests that he's going to take this with any kind of grace. I think something happened in that first spell at Man United. I don't know if in some ways that move that Alex Ferguson made where he built the whole team around him, he kind of marginalised Van Nistelrooy and said, we're going with Ronaldo. That obviously was the making of Ronaldo in some ways, but it also seems to have unleashed an absolute monster. And, you know, he's not just United. I mean, there's a real case for saying that actually they won a few titles, but that Juventus took big step backward, being being based around him as well. I mean, it just happened that during that run in Serie A, the other clubs that could potentially have challenged happened to be completely basket cases as well. So the challenge had to come from the likes of a Napoli or an Atalanta, who were not obvious. Obviously, yeah. kind of competitors in that way. Uh, one more thing about Portugal quickly, uh, because I want obviously the real story here is Morocco. Uh, before we move on to that, obviously they, they lose one nil goalkeeping error. Keeper should do better potentially. Yeah, well, you, didn't, you didn't see it, did you? It's first half. I've seen I've seen the goal. I've seen the yeah. goal. Okay, so he comes. He, he doesn't really get anywhere near it. No, yeah, no, it's it's, it's poor keeping. Um, but you know, it's going to happen in a tournament, isn't it? You know. Mm. you've got to think that a mistake made at the back, you've got enough attacking talent to to, to turn that around. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't watch the whole of that. You know, for the 20 minutes I did watch, Morocco were defending like absolute beasts. And, you know, that's how they've been through the tournament. You know, they're clearly a very, very organised team, very, very tactically sound. And where their players their star players are they're just really good and really strong and you know if they had a striker who knows what could have happened if they had a bit of luck who knows they might have been playing on Sunday instead of Saturday it's just really strong set of players and you know obviously goalkeepers performed absolutely magic for them in in the uh, quarters and in the second round Amrabat has just been immense in that midfield and Hakimi at, at right back is absolutely one of the best in the world and uh, we, we've seen a lot more of 
the Ziyech that Chelsea have not really got to see. Yeah, just a, a lot of talent in that team. A lot of talent, and I think the the crucial point is talent that's buying into the overall blueprint. So you don't see just the talented players kind of standing around like, oh, well, why haven't you given that ball where I want it? You know, that everybody's putting a huge shift. Um, yes. I saw a, a great line the other day. Um, only 30% of the world is covered by land. The other 70% is covered by Amrabat, which I thought was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful line. Um, yeah, I just... There's more than anybody else, I think, in this tournament. Uh, they, the Morocco have been the the breath of fresh air. I think uh, they've really lifted it in yeah. a way that uh, that I haven't really gotten as into it as I normally would. In a way that I didn't really get that into 2018. Um, we could go into that in more detail, but it's not. Really, it's a bit of a kind of side thing, so I won't uh, won't divert us. But Morocco are probably the exception, and uh, I was really rooting for them. I really was, and I think if they had to conceded late on when Portugal were trying and trying, and they maybe did have one or two moments where a little bit of bad luck that could have gone in. And I think I, I realised, you know, I actually care about this as much as I care about England. I really want them to go through. And uh, it just, yeah, it lifted the whole thing. And um, credit to them. What a, what a team. And, and team, most of all, you know, first and foremost, a great absolute you know, kind of squad kind of mentality that, that pulled them through. And uh, and that seems to be the, the kind of thing. Like They don't concede. You look at their track records going back before the World Cup as well. This isn't something that's just clicked just just now just as, as they've come through the group we we probably should have been a bit more alive to just how kind of good they were going in um because you know Salah and Egypt only got past them after extra time in the Afcon uh I think they've maybe conceded more than one goal a couple of times over the past year you know they, they do not concede a lot of goals so you know France to score twice in that semi-final you know they pulled up trees yeah yeah I guess We'll go on and talk about um, France in the semi-final. You know, obviously, we will talk about England at a later date. So, uh, skipping over that briefly, you know, what I'll say is, you know, we gave we gave them a hell of a game, and it just wasn't to be. But yeah, there'll be more about that down the line when when we've let it settle a little bit. I just my kind of two cents, just to again not go not derail us, but I think. The overwhelming thing, spoiler, is that we're all actually pretty proud, I thought. You know, we actually outplayed France for large portions of that game and maybe, you know, things could have been different on another day. Uh, But yeah, without going into it in uh, granular detail, that's kind of the overwhelming emotion. But that meant that France ended up playing Morocco rather than England. And uh, that would have put a very different complexion on it if uh, Morocco were coming up against uh, a somewhat less experienced team in those crunch matches, which obviously England would have been compared with the reigning champions. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, on on to this game. It, It was a strange one, wasn't it? You know, Morocco did concede two goals, but they conceded the second on the break when they were throwing absolutely everything at France. And weren't getting the rub of the green it's a strange you know you get an early goal like that it sets things up and France are very good defensively very good tactically they're very good in every which way you you want to play football and Mm. you know just because they've scored a goal they're 1-0 up in a semi-final they've been there before they've all done it before they're a squad with they've got players playing at the very top of all the big five leagues in Europe 
their, their, their team as players from PS3, from Barcelona, from Real Madrid, from Bayern Munich, from AC Milan, AC Milan, you know, from take your pick. I mean, yeah, every pretty much every big club, right? Yeah, from Man United, from yeah, some might scoff at that, but you know, <laughs> it's um, they're still a big club. They're just not. Yeah, of course, good. they're a big club. <laughs> of course, they're a big club. Now, now they've got rid of that horrible weight around their necks. They'll be a bit better, you'd think. Uh, unfortunately yeah I mean while he was there you knew there was a, a ceiling but uh, they might be slightly more likable without him but they will actually be better which anyway that's another topic for another time yes um, but you know every position eh, they've got top players from from around the world from, from Europe's top leagues top teams and they score that goal early it's they're in control you know Morocco now have to chase it you know they've not gone crazy chasing it because it'd be silly and go running after it for for 85 minutes you know the game settled they didn't get blown away a lot of teams in that position conceding early might might have gotten blown away uh, but no that they stuck to their game plan and then they really really pushed them really pushed them you know as the half went on and then into the second half it's crazy I think they didn't actually score you know Lorry's had some good good saves again Morocco strikers missed um, some good chances and luck just when they needed that little bit of luck it, it wasn't falling for them you, you could kind of see it with, with a couple of those earlier chances that they missed you're like if you're missing these it's already not looking like your day and it wasn't a B. It didn't stop them giving it absolutely everything. And, you know, those players were there. But with the threat of guys like Mbappe, Dembele on the break, bringing on other young fast forwards, when they're attacking, there's always the danger of getting caught on the break. And, you know, eventually, eventually they did. And like I say, it, it, it's... They really, really did warrant a goal in with that performance and maybe even to take it to extra time. But what you didn't see is what France's reaction would have been if they had equalised earlier on in the game. It would have been interesting to see that. I have a sneaky suspicion France would have upped their game. I, I feel France throughout this tournament, they're not overexerting themselves to go out and batter a team 5-0. You know, they're playing to win that game. And they'll do what they need to win that game, each game as it comes. Hmm. And, you know, essentially that's what they did. You know, I mean, you wouldn't know that from watching Griezmann, who in the quarters and the semis and the second round has been absolutely insane, absolutely everywhere. You know, he might have covered a bit more of ground than Amrabat, to be honest. He's been that, that much all over the, all over the pitch. And, you're certainly talking about the two best midfielders in the tournament, I think. So, yeah, it was interesting to see them going head to head. I mean, that last ditch ta- tackle on Mbappe, over not not to even go out for a corner was absolutely amazing mm. from Amrabat. And Griezmann was everywhere. He was sweeper at some point, making tackles in his six yard box. It, it's just. I, I love to watch a player who plays like that, and it's just, yeah, fantastic. It, it gives me great pleasure to watch players like that. So I think the thing about France 
and not a lot of teams have this it's it's quite a rare thing is that that any team when they're bad are bad but every so often you get a team that even when they're mediocre they're really good and that's France and now we've seen like Brazil have done it in the past the way they don't actually have to be all that at it and they're still better than most of the teams they're going to come up against uh just because they only need a half chance to score uh they to have that I think it's a mental thing as much as anything and it comes from experience and I don't think France have been completely firing at any point that I've seen them this tournament and yeah they, I think they were better against Morocco than they were against England but even so that is kind of the difference between the two two teams I think is that France when the ball kind of bobbles around in the box you know France don't have the same difficulty getting it clear and that first goal you know there's three or four attempts at clearance that a France player would have just put his foot through that and just would have or would have just had the composure because he's been there enough times before to just find somebody and like defuse the situation and I think that's kind of what undid England I think that's what undid probably at times the Netherlands in the game against Argentina I think it's maybe ultimately what separated uh, France and Morocco here you know they were organized they you know matched them they went toe-to-toe they matched them physically but ultimately, you just can't legislate for the fact that even when they're not completely at it, France are still really good. And, and you know, it goes back to France having so, so, so many fantastic players. Mm. France could take an A team and a B team to the World Cup, and you wouldn't be surprised if they played each other in the final. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's to that level. And there's just quality in every every single position that there's you know another player that, that's world class there except right back by all accounts but you know even then they're not <laughs> they're not having the worst time out of it even with a well, makeshift centre half there. The fine tradition of France playing makeshift centre halves at right back of course. Uh, uh, one or two. One or two. One or two. Yeah I'm just kind of wondering now how um if there was a moment that should have gone in just for the, the history of it and to write yourself into all-time World Cup law, if the overhead kick had sneaked in, uh, was it yeah. Yafik? I mean, that was the moment, really. I know the second half was the, the batter in the over and over again, but if that could have gone in, oh, my word, we'd be talking about that one with what a moment, old yeah. men. It would have been. When? Um, yeah. Uh... <laughs> old, old men. not Old, old men. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, they're unlucky in the end. Unlucky in the end. They really gave it a good go. They weren't there just to make the numbers up at any point. And they beat Belgium. They beat Spain. They beat Portugal. And they gave France a real, a real good game. And I guess all that leaves for today is to go through the other semi-final. Uh, Argentina made uh, slightly easier work of it against Croatia than uh, than the France game. I think easier work than anyone actually expected there you know like I said I didn't think this is the greatest of Croatian teams but they're never going to be easy to beat although they're very rarely going to be easy to beat they just they didn't show up for me it just I think between Messi deciding he's going to be in an absolute mood on that day and Croatia really not quite looking themselves it was there but you know I think a big part of this is how 
you know, tournament football, you often say it's about peaking at the right time. So you look at Spain battering someone seven nil in the first game and, you know, not making it to the quarters and but you see plenty of stuff like that always happening. And I feel if you look at a team and you you know your football and you know how tournaments tend tend to go generally, you, you look at Argentina as a team that are doing it exactly right to the point where in the first game they were so slow out the blocks they lost to Saudi Arabia. But from that point on, it never really looked like they weren't going to get out of the group. They weren't battering anybody. It was there. They went through that absolute war with the Dutch after looking comfortable for so much of the game. Here, it was just their heads were on. They were playing sublime football. Messi was in an absolute in an absolute zone, rolling back the years. Because you know, it, it's it's fair to say. Messi, like Ronaldo, not quite the player he was. What Messi's done now, what Messi's doing in this tournament is he's picking his spots. He's picking his moments. He's not controlling the whole of the game. But, you know, when he's got that football at his feet and he's got that chance, you know, lurking around, giving the ball. Right now, it's my time to do something. He's not chasing it down. And, you know, Messi's never been a lazy player. You know, never been that player that is, like, pass me the ball. You know, that's not his career. But, you know, age has kicked in now. And it's almost as if him doing that, limiting himself a little bit to those moments. Let everyone else do the fucking work. You know, I've earned this. Now it's my time. When he's on that ball, he's still just as good. Same as Modric, to be fair. You know, we're talking about... Croatia here and Modric's it like like Messi is still just as good when he's on the ball and you know I think they're two players whose physical attributes are not as important as they are to a Ronaldo no Ronaldo's strength Ronaldo's pace Ronaldo's power is Mm. what's there you know these guys are technical players very technical players when when they've got that ball that age doesn't there. You know, the burst of pace is not quite the same as it was, but he can still outsmart you. Mm. Uh, and, you know, Modric can still outfox you in that midfield, no matter how good a player you are. And, yeah, I mean, what Messi did at points in that game and, and you know, the game before as well was just exceptional. I mean, he's having his best World Cup by a country mile, I think, and that includes the one where he won the golden ball and yeah you know he's he's got soldiers going to war from him backing him up behind him who are fully bought in to the fact that they're going to be part of this Argentina team and Messi is going to lead them to World Cup glory I genuinely believe they all 100% believe that because that's how they're playing and if you're Messi I, you know, I'd love to have Martinez in my goal. I'd mm. love to have old man Otamendi who's <laughs> talk if you want to talk about losing the pace, even if he had any in the first place. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'd love to have, you know, the Powell just tearing up everything for me. I'd love to have Paredes just, you know, slide tackling in and booting balls at benches on my behalf. And then you've got this bright young kid up front 
next to him, who, you know, has obviously turned some heads to get to the Man City and has started to start to show a little bit of what he's got there. And, you know, suddenly he's he's almost becoming Aguero, isn't he? You know, he, the, the long-lost Aguero that, that Messi used to have. Never got anything done with, though. You know, he's now got a nice younger version in there. And, yeah, it, it's... It's looking promising, and they just they tore Croatia apart. Mm. There's an element of uh, it, it. He knows it's the last one. I mean, obviously, I think today it was that he came out and said, "Win or lose, this is my last. I'm, I'm done." Which I suppose is another indication of one of the big personality differences between him and Ronaldo. Um, yeah, he is gonna gonna leave after this, but he seems to be playing with a freedom because of that, right? Like 2014, when they went to the final, he obviously had some really talented players around him then, and they had a really good, good side, but he felt weighed down by it in a way that he rarely did when you watched him for Barcelona. And what I think sort of happened... He played like it. Yeah, he played yeah. like it as well. Yeah. And they kind of gave him the awards. Was it Neil who said almost just like a kind of participation trophy to kind of like make it up to him that he didn't win? Uh <laughs> But this time out, it's almost like flipped. It's like he's not having anything like his Barcelona form at PSG. You know, he's obviously had his moments because he's a special player. But I think we can all agree it's not the same. And now he's just coming to the World Cup and he's, he's like determined to enjoy it. And yeah, the other thing, is, I guess what you're saying about just like having other people do more of the work. Do you remember when... England would be bad sometimes. And again, I keep comparing like these brilliant players to like slightly inferior English examples, but I think they I think they work as examples. Um, there was a point when England were doing badly, particularly in the kind of McLaren, maybe in the Capello era, and sometimes you'd be looking for Wayne Rooney, where is he? And he had dropped back so far to try and make something happen that there was no striker. And you know, well, how are we going to do anything if the, the and I don't mean he was playing as a false nine. I mean he just got in search of the ball. And I think sometimes really talented players can fall into that trap. But if everybody is actually allowing him to go and find space, that is actually the blueprint for all successful Argentinian teams I've ever seen. You know, there's been a special player that has had license to go and and do that kind of thing, whether it was Maradona or somebody else. Uh, I think there's a a real kind of question mark about whether or not they're going to get over the line because this France team are really special. But the fact there's a question mark when a few weeks ago we were talking about them losing to Saudi Arabia shows, as you say, just how far they've they've come over the space of what is it, six games? Yeah, I mean, I've. I think I actually predicted this final um, when, when, I, when I did me uh, the old uh, pre-match prediction. I, I don't think the route was exactly the same. I don't think I had Morocco in the semi-finals. Or, I actually seem to to vaguely remember getting to the semi-final and it being like Argentina or Brazil. Argentina or Brazil. I'm, I'm going to put my money on Messi. And when I made that prediction... I went on to predict Argentina for the final. How good could Messi be on the day? I think is key. And how will Argentina cope with that French left-hand side? Those are the two key points in here. You know, who's not, who's going to be watching Messi? Who's going to be the one tasked with that? It might be Griezmann. That'd be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> 
Griezmann trying to mark Messi out the game. Do you know what? You know, as strange as that seems, I'd probably do that if I'm Deschamps. Because, you know, he's... I know he's playing in that attacking midfielder role, but I I don't know. I, I... He's the one I'd feel comfortable with watching him. Almost try and have Griezmann take Messi out the game and let it go 10 on 10. Because I think if if they can do that, I think France will win the World Cup. If they struggle to do that and Messi can take charge, I think it's it, it's a different game entirely. Mm. You know. So, yeah, it will be very interesting to see. And then because I think both England and Morocco did very, very well. To, to keep Mbappe with the overlap of Fernandes pretty quiet, which is hard to say when Fernandes scored in the first five minutes, but, you know, that was... Due it was to pinball. Of that. Yeah, pinball, wasn't know, it? it? It's, you know, that, that left-hand side of the French is, is the biggest danger flank in the tournament. And I think probably England and Morocco have had the two right backs in the world that you'd want to try and counteract that you know I'm not sure you would pick any other right back over Hakimi or Walker in that position if you could choose anyone in the world to come and play there for you would you have anyone other than those two I don't know no probably not there might be someone else I certainly don't think Argentina have got that that level of player on there, you know, will he have that level of heart? But, you know, for all the heart in the world you can have, for all the pace in the world that you can have, as quiet as Mbappe has been in those two games, not totally quiet, but you saw him absolutely breezed by Walker and absolutely breezed by Hakimi at points. And, you know, that could be all it takes. All it could take is one time. I think that's why it's going to come down to how much Messi can do, because... I think the Argentinian defence might buckle having to try and deal with the sheer amount of pace in the French team, not just in Mbappe, although obviously he is capable of torturing either of their centre-backs and probably yeah. either of their full-backs for that matter. Uh, so they're going to have to get so much support off the defensive midfielders uh, just to stay in the game, I think. That's, as I say, just that there's all rumours now about the maybe, because he was never completely thrown out the squad, that Benzema will actually turn up the final, which is going to just throw everything into confusion as well. Uh, I'm not sure I would do that, it. That's your Ronaldo 98 moment written all over it, isn't it? It really does, yeah, uh, especially with Giroud playing so well. Yeah, um, I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's any chance in hell he starts for France in the World Cup final. No, you maybe get you maybe get him to put a tracksuit on, and if you need him with twenty to go, yes, yeah, stick him on the bench. You know yeah. they, they've got some good there. You know, but if you, you you'd be mad to turn him down, but you also don't want the circus that comes with that, and need no, to all right. become. Oh, is Ben Zimmer going to play? That yeah. is, that is not something you want. You want your head in the game. You don't want Giroud worrying about that. You don't. No, want, no. You know it's working well, and you know in the Euros. Ben Zimmer was on the bench, wasn't he? You know, Giroud was starting. They were playing the same attacking style that they were playing here with Giroud in the team and Ben Zimmer coming on. And he did some bits at times. I can't remember exactly how it played out by the time they got out, but they went out. What does uh, that tell uh, you? Yeah, uh, Ben Zimmer played very well, but uh, they 
they didn't have the structure that they've had this time and they conceded silly goals against uh, Switzerland, I think it was. And so the whole thing fell apart in the space of one knockout game, which, as we know, can happen. And uh, yeah, this is this kind of game where if, if if either team comes into it and they're not at it, this game could be over pretty quickly. And both sides have the firepower to kill it off before you've had time to get your bearings. I I I don't see France falling apart. No, no, I don't. I, I could see France three 0 down at half time and that game not done. Argentina, I'm not so sure they could come back from it. You know, I think France are just mentally very, very, very strong players. So to say that they can come back from it doesn't mean they will. I just, what I mean there is I don't see them fall falling to pieces if they, mm. if they can see the couple. But that the you know you would rather be two up wouldn't you than two down so oh absolutely yeah it, it's there you you know I, I think Argentina will be wary of that having had it happen to them with, with the Dutch and I think if France found themselves in a in a similar situation they'd look to that and say well yeah we can we can get back as well but yeah I mean it, it's it's going to be very very interesting I think it's tight to call. I think you've got to call the French favourites. Uh, you say it's too tight to call, but I was going to say let's finish up. And of course, I'm going to put you on the spot. You can toss a coin if you like. Who are you um, taking? I think the French will, will will win, but I'm hoping for Messi. I want this to be Messi's World Cup. I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I don't really care because. Once it got to the, the four and the, the, the semi-finals, uh, England were out, and I realised I had no problem with anybody winning. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, once once Brazil and Portugal had gone, I was like, right, I don't care who wins it. I wanted, you know, as much as it's nice to get behind Morocco, I wanted the France-Argentina final just because I thought that would be the best, uh, the best final, the biggest final. No offence to Morocco, but, you know, that that's the one. You know, that's the big game. Fair, fairy tales... Fairy tale should always stop at the at the semi final at the latest. Well, yes and no. I mean, it would have been an even bigger game if Morocco had got there and won it. But I suppose there is always the potential that they could have got there and been battered, and then it's a bit kind of sad, then, isn't it? Uh, much better to go out with glory than to lose four nil in the final. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that Morocco team are losing 4-0 to anyone to be fair. No, but, yeah. no quite. Uh, I think, yeah, as I say, I probably agree with you. I think France are probably the favourites. If I had to bet, I would probably say I think they're just going to have a little bit too much. But I guess it's the sentimental pick would be both for Messi and for Martinez. So, you know, obviously I've got a, a lot yeah, of affection for... You've got a guy, yeah. Oh, I guess he, I've got I, an Arsenal player on the French team, so... Uh, yeah. I hey, think... Played a lot. I think the difference between uh, Villa and Arsenal is that he will be, I think anyway, the first player to win the World Cup while being a Villa player if, if he does it. I don't think that's ever happened before. Wow, that's a, that's a bit of a stat. That's quite surprising, really. Uh, well, not really. I mean, most of our players have always been English. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's that. Was that um, I might yeah. be wrong, but I can't think of any others. I don't think we had any French players in '98. No, I guess by the time the uh, the the influx of uh, more foreign players were there in in in, in the Premier League, you, you were you were kind of slipping a little bit and not necessarily being able to attract them. No, no, it would be even in kind of 2004 when 
everybody was the our team was still overwhelmingly British. You know, Angel was like the exception. Yeah. Other than our uh, love of Scandinavian centre halves, but uh, yeah, they were never going to win the World Cup, unfortunately. No disrespect to Sweden and Denmark, but um, <laughs> they just wasn't it this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Denmark yeah. Who absolutely missed it up in Sweden, who didn't even qualify. Yeah, Sweden had due a return. They were always there when I was younger. You know, yeah, they... I'm, I'm surprised Sweden. You know, Sweden are kind of they're that team that are always there, aren't they? Always there, yeah. always, always a good shout to get out of the group, and they'll give you a good game in the knockouts. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's a nice note to kind of finish on. Sweden come back soon. Uh, good luck to France and Argentina. We're especially Argentina, but we don't really mind. Uh, and I think we'll probably come back with a full house after the final to not just do this England episode that we've been promising everyone, but uh, to have a look at, at the final and end and give some final thoughts on the tournament as well. And then it's obviously not that long until January when we'll be returning with the second half of our season of four at the back. So lots to look forward to. Always is. And we'll catch everyone else out there again soon, uh, as I say, with some final thoughts on the World Cup after the final. Until then, take care. Bye for now.